one day I was driving in my car when the engine slowly dies out. And as it dawns on me that I'm either going to get out and start pushing the car or begin searching for a gas station in the summer heat, I start asking myself how I reached this point. How did I go so long without ever filling up? Was I really so oblivious that I missed the gas gauge drop below E? I am always waiting until the last second to fill my tank. I think that's what happens a lot of times in our lives. We go so long running on fumes and become so used to going on empty that we begin to believe this is how our lives are supposed to be. But then there always comes this point where even the fumes we've been running on finally get burned up. There's nothing left and we find ourselves outside in the heat realizing we're far from where we wanted to be. Do you ever feel empty? Do you ever have one of those days where you wake up and there's nothing there? No emotions, no motivations, no aspirations, absolutely nothing. You are running below E. Most of the time, my life feels like this room. Totally void of any purpose, cold and incomplete. But even though everything I see and everything around me seems pointless, I know there's more. I know I was designed with an incredible purpose that goes so far beyond the incomplete reality that I exist in. I've heard it been called a full life, or a deeper experience. One where I'm passionately living out my life to the full extent I was created to. As I started thinking about it, I've begun to realize I'm not the only one who gets this deep desire for more. I sense it in the lives of people all around me. I see it in some of the insane things that people do for attention. I hear it in the voice of my generation constantly. It's this nagging, this screaming inside of everyone I know who is dying for more. This whole conflict between the reality that we exist in and the completeness we all know we were meant for has been controlling my life. So lately, I've been trying to figure out what it is, why it's there, and who will fix it. I've done and tried a million different things to fill my emptiness. I've used pride to try to downplay it. I've tried friends to avoid it. I've used lust to try to mask it. I've used theft to try to forget it. I've tried selfishness to control it. I've used TV and the internet to try to tune it out. I've used lies to try to cover it up. I've used sex to try to fill it. I've tried money, cheating, alcohol and drugs, bitterness, success. And all those things make me feel full for a while. But after the party is over, after the porno ends, after the high is gone, after my friends leave, or right after I finally get what I thought I wanted, I'm left with nothing. I'm left alone, empty, and dry. So where do I go from here? How do I get outside of the walls of my emptiness? I mean, I know I can't fill it on my own. If I could, I wouldn't be waking up every morning empty and going through life incomplete. Could it be that this space can only be filled by one thing? As I was looking for answers, I picked up my Bible and turned to a story about the woman in the well. The woman in this story has a bad reputation in her town. She's been with five men and the man she's with now isn't her husband. She's a hurting girl who's been trying so hard to fill the emptiness on her own. Jesus approaches her at the well, and instead of asking why she's so evil, or how she sunk so low, he simply asks for a drink of water. Ashamed and caught off guard, the girl asks, why are you asking me for a drink of water? And what Jesus says next is the reason I'm a Christian. 
He tells her, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you my fresh, living water. Maybe the missing piece that's designed to fill our emptiness is the same thing that girl was missing years ago. His living water. It's something that can't be totally understood or completely defined in words. It's the love of God, your Creator and Savior, who has not only made you perfect in Him, but loves you perfectly regardless of what you become. Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not, I don't know. But I do know that everyone has either been in this room or is still trapped inside of it. Like me, you're probably thinking, that sounds great, but I've never had it work for me. I've never experienced that full life even though I am a Christian. And you know what? I'd say you're right. I've never really experienced it either. I've never had it work for me either. But maybe it's never worked for us because we've been doing it all wrong. Have you ever had a huge test you didn't know about until the day before? So that night, you're cramming in all this information so you can make a decent grade the next day. But you get to class the next morning, the teacher puts the paper down on your desk, you begin working, and you immediately realize that all the stuff you've been studying the night before isn't even close to what the test is actually over. That's exactly how I feel about my spiritual life. Like Christianity is a class I can study for. Like if I read my Bible 15 minutes a day, pray before every meal, and go to church every Sunday, then I'm a good Christian. Sometimes I get stuck studying in this class of Christianity for months, trying to live by the rules, say the right words, go to the right Bible studies, you know, do the whole good Christian kid thing. But this just leaves me feeling even more empty. I find myself so desperate that I start crying out to God. Lord, where are you? Don't you love me? But then every once in a while, I get a small taste of what real Christianity is. Maybe it comes in a message at church that really grabs my heart and wakes me up. Sometimes it's just being outside in creation, taking in all the beauty around me. But I most often see what true fulfillment is in the lives of others. When you see someone who truly loves God and loves to serve Him, you can just see in their face how full they are. They're overflowing with that living water. And that's when I remember, Christianity isn't a class, it's a relationship. It isn't about following all the right rules or being a good Christian. It's about knowing your Savior, the God who loves you more than you can ever understand in a real and personal way. Right now, we're all looking at shattered reflections of who we're truly meant to be. But the most amazing part of this whole struggle is that every day Christ is there offering us his living water. He wants us to live in that fulfilled zone where we're not dragged down by the things we use to try to fill our emptiness. He asks us simply to throw him our sin and our shame because he knows we can't deal with it on our own. But he can. And finally, after we've admitted to ourselves we can't live a life of meaning without Him, cried out to God for rescue, and surrendered all we are over to Him, we can finally be free to live that life of purpose and fulfillment we know we were all meant for.
Now all that's left to do is either let the tension in our lives build and allow the empty gap in our souls to widen, or allow God to break through that wall we know shouldn't be there and let His wave of fulfillment come rushing in. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, My purpose is to give life and life in all its fullness. God desires deeply for us to live our life out to the full extent He created us to. He is pushing against the other side of that wall, wanting to fill you, just waiting for you to take the last step and come to Him. And when you finally do, it feels so good to be released from your mistakes, to be released from your shame, to be free from your guilt, no matter who you are, how far you've fallen, or how empty you've been, Christ washes it all away. You know, I wish I could say from now on we will never go empty again. But we are still human. We will make more mistakes. Our tanks won't always be full. But maybe that's the beauty of it. We are constantly going to have to keep coming back to our Creator when we go empty again, so that we may realize we depend on Him for everything that holds meaning in life. Maybe that's what being full is all about, depending on God instead of trying to live on our own. several weeks, we have been speaking about five, la four languages. We've been speaking about how our tanks need to be filled. Our love tank needs to be filled in order for us to have the energy to love others and to continue on living a joyful life. But when that tank starts to deplete, and it's usually depleted when we do a lot, but very little comes in our hearts. Then we start to feel empty. And an empty heart gets us depressed, makes us feel lonely, makes us feel tired, fatigued. And we feel like we're carrying the world all by ourselves on our shoulders. So today we're going to be speaking about the last love language. Let me first summarize very quickly by using one statement for each of the languages that we've already covered. Words of affirmation is a language. People who speak that language are people who get energy and get fed, their spirit gets fed with words of encouragement. Words can build or destroy a person's soul. 
So in this particular language, the statement when we fill that tank is saying, I am proud of you. I'm encouraged by you. You're doing well. The second language is quality time. And quality time speaks of being present, being there, contact with the person who's speaking to you. You're not doing anything else. You're just paying attention to that person. And a person who gets filled by this language, they hear, we can do things together. That's what they hear, we can do things together. So no matter what you're going through, we can do this together. The third language that we've spoken about is physical touch. A person who speaks this language, their tank is full when we touch them and we encourage them through that touch. And what that is saying is, I am feeling you. I am feeling you. I am feeling your, your sadness. I am feeling your joy. I am feeling you when we speak to a person of that language. The fourth language that we learned last week is receiving gifts. And that person who speaks that language, when we give them a gift, we're actually saying, I am thinking about you even when I'm not with you. I am thinking about you even when I'm not with you. So today is the fifth language. And the fifth language is acts of service. Now that's my language. That's my biggest language. That's why sometimes I, I wonder if there was anything wrong with me because I'm always doing something. I can't stop doing something for people. I, I just can't stop doing anything. I thought it was a sickness or something like that, like codependency or, 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 or some issue, trying to, trying to forget the real issue, but I was just, it's not that. All these years I thought that that was a problem. It's just that I love to serve. I get full, my tank gets full when I'm serving. And I don't expect anything back. I really don't. Actually, I feel awkward when I get something back. So, so that's my love language. And I can speak today for a few moments about my love language. Acts of service, let's define it. Doing things you know your loved ones will like you to do. You seek to please your loved ones by serving him, to express his lo your love to him by doing things for him or her. That's what acts of service means. Acts of service requires thought, planning. It requires time, effort, and energy. And no wonder there's a lot of people don't speak this language. <laughs> if done with a positive spirit, they are indeed expressions of love. In order to have this language, you have to be focused. Because look at all the elements, that, that ingredients that are involved in that. It requires thinking. It requires planning. It requires a lot of time, effort, and energy. But a person who loves this language or speaks this language doesn't have 
a heaviness in doing these things. It just comes natural. It comes natural. I could do a million things at one time and give the same kind of quality to all of it because it's my language. This is how I, my tank is full. And this is how I, I, I fill tanks. Now what's interesting is that because this is my language and I do it a lot, doesn't mean that I'm filling my husband's love tank. Because as we've been studying and sharing and being very transparent, my husband's love language is physical touch and words of affirmation, which happens to be the last for me. But the good news is that there's no accident, right, that God called us to teach this so that I would learn that because it's not natural for me, the way I need to express love to my husband is to know his language and to try the best way possible consciously to do that. And that's what we're challenging you today to do. This is the lifestyle. Not to think about yourself all the time, but to think about the ones that you love and give more of yourself to them by expressing love. Some ideas, these are just some ideas, that, that you can express love through acts of service is cooking a meal, setting a table, Washing dishes, vacuuming. Now, I love my sisters. My sisters from my life group, they've learned this language, these languages, and they've been actually expressing love to one another for the last several weeks, including that I don't get to wash dishes much after the meetings anymore because they're expressing their love for me. Thank you, Sister Cynthia. <laughs> Cleaning, changing baby's diapers, gentlemen. That's a nice way of expressing, you know, love. love. Dusting, keeping the car in operating condition, paying the bills, trimming, walking the dog, anything that, you, that your mate needs done, if you step in to do it, you're expressing love. Now this is an important observation. Uh, many of you are not going to feel me now for a few minutes, but that's okay, all in love. God has called me also to um, talk about truth. What we do for each other before marriage is not an indication of what we're going to do after marriage. We've been talking about that for several weeks. Because the euphoric stage just brings our guards up, down and we'll just everything and anything to that person. When we're in that stage, we use all five love languages and maybe even a six. We'll find it because we're so motivated by what connection there is with that person that we will do anything for them. Doesn't mean that it's a lie. Just means that we're motivated by something bigger, which is love. But when it all comes down and, the, and then we go back to normal and the euphoric stage is over, 
Love is a choice. It's not coerced. It's not a feeling. You choose to love. People tend to criticize their spouse most loudly in the area where they themselves have a deep emotional need. Now, how does that look? Well, without, with, before my husband knew that my love language was service, I made a big deal about the garbage not being out every day from the kitchen. That's an act of service. For him, it was just garbage. For me, it was love. Now this is important, and this is the part that some of you are going to feel, eh, eh. what's a door, doormat, a doormat? A doormat is something that you just, a, a doormat is something that you just kick around, walk on it, do all this kind of, you know, stuff over it. It doesn't matter because the doormat is not going to speak back to you. It's just an object. Actually, you just clean yourself on it, right? You clean your feet on it. Well, when we treat our loved ones as objects, we preclude the possibility of love. We're not expressing love. They're just objects, and we don't, we don't express love to a, a, a notepad. A doormat is that type of object. You can wipe your feet on it, step on it, kick it around, and you know, in some marriages, that's what we do to one another. Learning the love language of acts of service will require some of us to re-examine our stereotypes of the roles of husband and wife. This is important, especially in our culture. We believe that the woman's job is specific to the kitchen and to the bathroom when she's cleaning it, and the bedroom. And the man's job is in the living room watching sports or a good movie and chilling. In some cultures, not ours. Before that, has the, we need to examine the roles. So husband and wife are to work alongside with each other to develop a healthy and safe home environment. That's what really is supposed to happen, where the whole family grows physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Now, a, a, that's very important. That's the goal of the marriage. Now, these two people have the grace for that. They have to communicate what their functions are. So none of us have the right to put a definition as to what the husband's role is or the, or, or the woman's role is. It's up to the couple to make that decision. And the couple does this based on the strength of each individual. So for example, if, if the husband's strength is in cooking, which, by the way, that was my father's strength. My father was a great cook, and some of you know my mother cooked soup. But my father was a great cook, so he was the one that cooked at home. But it felt funny sometimes for him because he came from a culture that would criticize the man in the kitchen. But his strength was in cooking. 
And so it's really up to the couple. You could, you have couples nowadays who are deciding that the father is the one that raises up the children at, when, the, when they're babies while the wife goes out and gets, and, and gets the bread. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're very quick to judge. God didn't even put those instructions like that. All he did was say, you help each other come into agreement. Because that word submission that we so often misinterpret, it simply means come into agreement. Next. Many acts of service will involve household chores, but not all. What are some non-chores ways of serving your mate? Make a list of all the, guests, the requests your loved one has made for you over the past few weeks. Select one of these each week and do an expression of love. Simple. So if it's vacuuming, changing the baby, cleaning the car, just one a week that fills somebody's tank. And now we're going to speak about how these five love languages are integrated into ministry. My husband? Praise God. God bless you. You know, I, I uh, like, like my wife, I'm also impressed how you guys grasped the love languages. Everybody that came with their spouse to represent and speak, you guys did a fantastic job. Uh, and like she said, you know, she's uh, going back to the first installment, the personality. She's an eagle with acts of services. So it took us like a couple of hours and a hundred months to put this together. <laughs> because we drilled on it. Amen? Amen. But it's all good. Just to drill in the fact that we have different personalities and God is doing that and did that for a reason and a purpose. The love language. Now, you know, when we first started in the past, I was speaking. And in the screen, we saw the universe and we saw the stars. You know, I got a quick flash in that. Uh, who are we that we are so mindful to him? Who are we that he gives us all of this? And who are we that live in the earth, a speck in the middle of that galaxy? Amazing. When you think about that, you begin to receive and accept the greatness of God in all of this. Amen? The love, language, and ministry. What we're going to try and do now is superimpose this into ministry, understanding that what's the first ministry? The first ministry, according to the love language, is the marriage. God instituted the marriage. The marriage emulates, it represents, amen, the image, the community of God. So God instituted the marriage for many reasons, synergy, touching and agreeing, walking together, and reproduction. Are you with me? Amen. So thus, the marriage. That's why we need the love languages to have a good marriage. Amen. Let's uh, clip on to the next slide, please. God's ministry of love. God created man. God created man. God gave him a rulership. When God created man, 
he gave man a rulership. If you know in Genesis, God gave man dominion. God gave man the task to subdue this earth, this that he had created. Amen? So that is the, the first move of God upon man when it comes to ministries of love. Then we also realized and found out that God created a woman for that man that he created, that he gave dominion to, to subdue and oversee the earth. That woman was supposed to become one with him. Over here we see God representing again family, unity, that becomes one because the Bible says that we are to become one flesh. The only way that's possible is if we understand the love languages. If we understand the personality differences. Only way. We also see God on the move in terms of God creating a man, a man for a woman, and God creating man to redeem man. We all know the story. Man failed when he disobeyed God and he was cast out of the Garden of Eden and we had a problem. But God didn't have a problem. So God begins to formulate a plan that included the five love languages and the five different personalities. Amen? So here we have, again, God created man. God said that it's not good for man to be alone because man was looking at all the animals and the animals had mates, but he didn't have one. So God creates one out of his side. You all know the story. And they became one. And then God charged him to redeem man god charges us to redeem man we all have the ministry of reconciliation amen next slide god's expression of love through the five love languages let's just look at this for a minute as mickey mentioned the five love languages words of affirmation words of affirmation in the beginning god was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word becomes flesh, and the Word was God in the beginning. But let's go before that. In the beginning, God gave Jesus to us, okay? And that Jesus was the Word that becomes flesh and dwells among us. So we can see God also moving in the love languages because love what gives. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that he or she, whoever believed in him, would be saved and not lost. Amen. So God is a giving God. He emptied heaven. He gave us the very best. He gave us Jesus. That word becomes flesh. Okay. Also, we can see God moving in the five love languages when uh, he fellowship with Adam and Eve. Quality time. The Bible says that they had fellowship. In the cool of the evening, God would come and walk with Adam and Eve and they would speak and talk. It's very hard to have fellowship and relationship if you don't see somebody's face. I don't know. I think they maybe looked face to face. I don't know. That's for a later topic. But that was closeness. That was quality time. The God of the universe, the sovereign God, the God that created that galaxy and holds it together by his word of faith, comes down and touches humanity by way of Adam and Eve, walks with them. And talks with them. Because you can't have, amen, love. You can't have love from afar. Love has to be expressed. Love has to be exchanged. Love is an active uh, word of action, a process of action. It's like faith. Faith without action is 
So by the same token, love without action is. So God had to express himself, express his love. In fact, in the beginning, uh, when he showed up to Moses, the first thing he said of himself in declaring himself in all of his deity, he says, I am love. I am love. I am love. And therefore, love must be powerful. There must be a thing about love. And as I dwelt on that, Jesus was only able to endure the cross because of love. I don't care what anybody says. God was able to give up Jesus because of love. I don't care what anybody says. You cannot have success in ministry, in marriage, and in the walk with Jesus if you don't have love. If you don't have a handle on love. Thus, the love languages are very important. Okay? We also see him move in this aspect, in physical touch. God sends his son, Jesus Christ. God sends his son, and his son, amen, becomes flesh, like I said before, and his son coming to earth showed us how God touched earth. He came to earth. He identified to earth. He came and touched humanity and redeemed humanity and embraced humanity. Are you with me? So we see three of the aspects of love already. Word of affirmation in the beginning, quality time, God fellowships with Adam and Eve, and physical touch, God sends his son. Then we also see him in acts of services. God gave Jesus up for us. Jesus was crucified for you and for me. What an act of service. What an act of giving of yourself. Awesome, tremendous, okay? We also see him receiving gifts, or rather giving gifts that we receive, okay? God fills us with his Holy Spirit. What a gift. The paraclete, the comforter, the one that guides you to all truth, the one that gives you strength, the one that shows you the end from the beginning, that once that wants to walk with you, and sometimes we don't even realize he's walking along with us. Amen? Continuing. So God sets this up. Five love languages, five personality. Now he comes, and here's where we're going to wrap this up and try to superimpose this as to how the love language Is, is, is moved on. You want to do it now or you want to do it later? You want to do it right now? Okay. Interruption here. Not an interruption. You see, he doesn't know how to flow. Okay? He just does not know how to flow. That's probably going to have to be the next segment. How do you flow? You, he tells them all. He tells it all, all, all. <laughs> Talk about transparency. Lewis's pictures on the word transparency. Anyway, the reason why I interrupted Dio was because I have given you the assessment, and you need to know that this is the assessment. Now, many of you have taken home the assessment for the four um, personalities, and they haven't come back to me. So please, and those of you who are interested, you should take them there in the back before you leave. But I wanted to say something very important. These love languages are not only for a love mate. When I, I, when I said love mate, I meant everyone. Your love mate is not only a husband or a boyfriend or a spouse, but it's your children because you love them. It's people you work with. It's your sisters. I even made examples about my sisters expressing their love to me. Right? 
So these languages are for everyone to learn how to express. And they are resources that speak specifically on how to express these five languages to children and teenagers. But they're all, they're useful for every relationship. So those of you who are not married, please don't feel left out. This is a language, it's your language, and it's for you to share with people who you love. Amen. You know, we really planned that. <laughs> Praise God. You know, what happens is, what happens is when, when you study like umpteen months and, and it's just bubbling out of you. And sometimes we come up here and there's so much that we try to abridge and it's difficult sometimes. So, you know, just bear with us. But it was good, honey. It's also for relationship, regular relationships third quarter relationships, you know what I'm calling, you know, afar off relationships. Sometimes you have a relationship that you're thinking about, you know. You're thinking about it so much that the other person doesn't even know it yet. But, you know, it's all good, okay, because it's good to prepare. Amen? Right, Nate? Amen. Glory to God. So getting, getting to the core of this, you know, uh, let's go to the next slide. The love language is expressed through the five-fold ministry. How many of you know God is a God of purpose and plan and direction? Now, God had a plan. He's always had a plan and a purpose. Even though man is disobedient, God always had a, a way out. Now, in Ephesians 4 and the 11th and 12th chapter uh, verses of chapter 4, we're going to see God through Jesus giving us some stuff. And here's how it reads. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is what I want you to understand, okay? He gives us a five-fold ministry so that he can equip the church. Now, those that are ministers in the house, our ministry as ministers are what we call vocational ministries. It's a ministry in the sense that we minister 24-7. We have to be ready just like anybody else. But there are some of us that are called to be teachers. So what we do is we vocationally teach. If we're an apostle, we... Uh, as an apostle, move vocationally and teach that aspect of ministry. If we're a pastor or a teacher, we teach those areas. Amen? So we teach that for the equipping of the ministers, of the saints. So in essence, God gives us a five-fold ministry. Let's say maybe a six-fold ministry. Don't think I'm losing it like Nate, but this is what I'm referring to. You have an apostle, you have a prophet. You have a teacher, you have an evangelist, and a pastor, vocational. And then you have us that are not that. If you're a saint, if you're a member of the church, you're a minister. Because you minister Jesus Christ 24-7. How many of you are with me? How do I evangelize? Well, the vocational ministers will show you how you evangelize so that you can go and minister in evangelism. 
Amen? How do I go and visit the hospital and pray for the sick? Uh, well, we'll teach you. The vocational ministers will do that so that you can edify and move in the body and build it up according to the purposes of God. Amen? So why all that? For the equipping of the saints, for preparing the saints so that we can move on in the edification of the body of Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? So that's equipping. Fivefold equips. Next slide, please. The fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4, 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. Till we, why all that? Till we all, so that we all can come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Big charge. We need to rise up and get developed to the full stature. The Bible speaks about the length, the width, the height, and the breadth. Paul wants us to know about Christ. Amen. That the Holy Spirit can teach us and help us to learn about and, and receive and, and, and have in us. Well, that's why we have vocational ministries. As prophets, teachers, evangelists. That's why God instituted the fivefold so that he can build up this body. Okay? In love. Verse 14, that we should no longer, because he wants to build us up, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunningness and craftiness of deceitful plotting. In the epoch, in the time that this was written, uh, they would come on the church and, and, and people would come and try to deceive the church and, and try to t twist and, and, and work against the doctrine of the gospel, the real truth of God. And, and they would come with deceitfulness. So they had to prepare themselves to defend themselves against that. Guess what? Today also, with humanism and all these things that are rising up, God needs to continue to equip his house, his body, his body, amen, by the perfecting of the saints, by the equipping of the saints through the vocational ministry. You with me? Vocational ministry needs to know the love language because that's the only way this is going to work so that we can get to the fullness of Christ. The next slide, please. Okay, the body working together. First, equipping five ministries, and we're committed to work with the fivefold ministry so that we can grow up to the stature. Because you've got to have something to say. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have the born-again experience, if you don't have the breakthrough anointing, if all you have is word and hoopla, it ain't going to do nothing. And this is talking about the body. Try to put in your mind that we are in a body. We're not in a building full of people. We're in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, creator of heaven and earth. The one that's here for keeps. The one that gave you life. The one that translated you into the kingdom of light to show you five love languages. He is love. If you don't have love, got to go get some in Christ. Amen. The body working together. But speaking the truth, there is no deliverance if there's no truth. Only the truth sets you free. 
Okay, so let's get it real. But speaking the truth in love, I don't care if you know the truth. If you're haughty about it, it ain't going to work. It's got to be done in love. The Bible says that all the gifts worketh by love and that the entire gospel is hinged on love. Whatever happens in Christianity, whatever moves and compels God, whatever moves in Scripture is hinged in love. If you don't know love, you're not going to be able to do this. If you don't know love, you can't be seated in heavenly places with Christ. And if you're not seated in heavenly places with Christ, you can't do the works of Christ. You got to get it real. Speaking the truth in love. Okay? So that it may grow up in all things in your life. So that you can grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Not nobody else, but Christ. From whom the whole body, again, the whole body, the whole body, which is you and me, joined together. Not only joined together, check this out. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You know, just joined together is one thing. But when you knit together, that's real tight. That's real tight. You know what was joined together? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark where most, uh, Noah was in, th those pieces of wood, they were joined together so that they can stand the storm and the water. And, and that's the only way we're going to do it, when we're joined together. But even further than that, knitted, knitted, knitted. The knitted means love. You can be joined together, but the love is what brings the knitting. The in something that can be penetrated. Amen. You know the cord, a three-strand cord is not easily broken. You know, in that portion of Scripture, it speaks about two. If two can agree, if two can touch, and two, then it goes into three. I wonder, what's the third for? You know what the third one is? The third one is, I don't care who you are. God will always have a third person, a teacher or a pastor or somebody that will open up the Scriptures to you so that you can get strong in the truth and be knitted together. So that nothing can break you. So that you won't be tossed. So the fivefold ministry is also that third cord. Amen? Okay, together by what uh, every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Very important. If your body is only half working, you're in trouble. I got a bad foot. That, that makes me walk like this. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not... Until that foot gets together. So the body needs to be whole. The body needs to be whole. And we're all responsible for our part. Our share in this body. There's a chair in here for you. If you're sitting in the wrong chair, you're going to be uncomfortable. But there's one that fits you perfectly. Amen? When we move in love and understand this whole process in love. Amen? Because it begins, and if you can see, it ends in love, edifying of itself in love. Another translation is building up itself, growing itself. We're not going to grow. You're not going to see 20 new members if we don't have love, the understanding of love, the appropriation of love, where we sit, where we're called in the body. 
all the stones have to be put together in the proper place. So we're master building this thing, so to speak. Are you with me? And the key thing, what knits us together is love. The love language. The love language. The love language for our relationships at home, with our wives, and our relationships in the house, and with our family, and our children, and everybody at the workplace. Relationships. God is a God of relationship. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, and you can only reconcile a relationship. You don't reconcile yourself in the sense. You can quicken yourself and speak to your spirit, get itself together, and start loving. But reconciliation between you and another person is what God is looking for. Thank <laughs> you.